You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, which is part seven of the sermon series, This Is Family. For more info, please visit creekside.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. Oh, it's good to see you. Good to hear you. Everybody cool? Well, don't go outside. It's going to get warm, uh, which is great. That's wonderful. Would you take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, bless, you, uh, bless you, and um, turn your note pages over, because I'm not doing that talk today. I, uh, <clears throat> I was sick last night and started hallucinating. Not really, but I was sick, and I kind of decided to kind of do something different today. Because the talk that I was going to do, I thought it might be a great way to close this series and uh, do something a little special if it fits into uh, a Sunday morning. But uh, I'll get back to that later. I, I, I said this at the beginning of the series, and if I don't do it today, I wouldn't get to it. And uh, just trying to do what I said I would do, I, I want to talk to singles because... When you come to church, uh, oftentimes singles are, well, they're kind of forgotten. And so I just want to talk to you about some things. I want to kind of challenge our singles, whether teenagers or you're 60 and single, but uh, to give you some things that God kind of gives us some understanding about on how to live as a single. Because some people really believe, and the church makes it sound like that God's ultimate is to be married. Now, he, hear me. Don't, I'm not diminishing marriage at all today. I'm really glad that I'm married. But sometimes we make it sound like the ultimate. And it's, and it's pretty important since it's the first institution that God established in creation after the world. But sometimes we, 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 just, we, we, we don't balance that out for those in our congregation. And it's not even a meaningful thing. Um, I've said over and over a number of times in the past few weeks that, uh, that when it comes to marriage, we're called to complete one another, not to compete with each other. And sometimes marriages get really tweaked and messed up because everybody starts competing for the things that they want, the things that they think they need, the things that are important to them. So I'm not diminishing marriage at all, but I want to balance it out as I talk to our singles. But here's the deal, because now some of you are married and you're thinking, okay, well, I might as well just punch out and read my phone. And um, so I'm watching you. I'm going to say some things that are very applicable to, to, to married couples for your marriage, but I'm also going to give you some things that if you have children or if you have grandchildren, this may give you some opportunity to talk to your children or uh, students about that as they get older. It's important, and I want to be clear and understand, I'm not saying that singles are incomplete unless they're married. Uh, Proverbs says it this way. He who finds a wife finds a good thing, and he finds favor from the Lord. That is a good thing. Uh, you know what he's really saying there is that most of us guys, we've probably married above our pay grade. And, um, and I know that I have, and that's why I experienced some of the favor 
of God. You know what's interesting? I didn't know this until I looked this up last night. It's interesting that the U.S. divorce rate began falling in the 1990s. Did you know that? It has since continued on an overall downward trend. In 1992, there were 4.8 divorces per 1,000 population. By 2017, this had dropped to 3.2 per 1,000. So this falling divorce rate, uh, they, they, they tie it a lot to the millennials. Why is that? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm a baby boomer, and when baby boomers got married, we didn't care where we were in life or how young we were. We just said, let's get married, and we did it. When I did that, I, I had just turned 20, and Trina was 12. And, um, <laughs> um, and her parents were all for it. Well, that's what people think today that, you know, that I'm her dad or something. But, um, but see, baby boomers, we married young. Now, millennials, what they're choosing to do is a whole different thing. Many of them say, well, I'm going to complete my education. I'm going to get uh, established in my career, and then I'm going to have some kind of financial foundation in place. Uh, so that adds a lot of different dimensions to it. They're waiting up to 10 years longer or more than what my generation would have waited to get married. And so, first of all, they're more mature, they're more understanding, have more things in place. And uh, so the divorce rate is beginning to decline. So that's a wonderful thing. But there's this chapter in the Bible, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, that really is written to those who aren't married, as well as to those of us who are. I'm not going to be able to go through the whole passage because there's so many things in it. But it gives us some wonderful principles for living a single lifestyle, because Paul has received a letter from some of his friends from this church in Corinth. And he writes them back and he gives them some answers about faith, life, culture, sex, divorce, living single, living in a relational world. Now, it's interesting when we think about it, because what's the agenda of our church? What's the, really the agenda of any church? Really, the, the, the mission and purpose is simply to reach the lost. It really is. Then discipleship. But isn't it interesting that, that our agenda is also to become like Jesus? To follow and, and to become more like him. Uh, as, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he said that we all with unveiled face are beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed. We're being changed into the image of Christ from glory to glory, from experience to experience. But Jesus was a single so does that mean we don't get married? No, I don't think so. But so many singles can get stigmatized and sometimes even in the church. The Apostle Paul, who is writing this, is going to state that he was single. But Paul gives this great experience and this perspective on it. So I want to read a few verses, starting at uh, verse 1. Now, getting down to the questions that you asked in your last letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? 
That's a big one right out of the chute. So Paul's going to talk about it. We say certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual desires are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Uh, See, there's not a lot of difference between them and us. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality, the husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Why? Well, because Satan has this ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence. Since abstinence, I'm only providing the best counsel if you should choose them. So he's really kind of setting up the way the sexual relationship kind of works within a marriage. And he says that it needs to take place within the context of marriage. Now, notice this next statement. He says, sometimes I wish everyone were single like me. Wow, what a simpler life in many ways. <laughs> Not too, don't, don't get too loud over there. But, but celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. Now get this. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them as it has been for me. Uh, But if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. Uh, There's a couple of things you could probably say about the sexually tortured life as a single. Uh, From from some experience, I would say that, uh, number one, there's the quote, torture because of the, Paul is talking about it, the drive, the passion towards sexuality and that desire, and that can almost be torturous at times when you're single. But I think it's also implying that there's a torturous life to, to singles when they begin to live outside of God's design and they become promiscuous and there's a lot of torture that can follow that in a person's life. But if you're married, stay married. This is the master's command, not mine. If a wife should ever leave her husband, she must either remain single or else come back and make things right with him. And a husband has no right to get rid of his wife. Going to verse 26, and Paul continues, and he says, all I'm saying is that when you marry, you take on additional stress in an already stressful time, and I want to spare you if possible. 
I do want to point out, though, friends, that time is of the essence and there is no time to waste. That's an important statement. So don't complicate your lives unnecessarily. Keep it simple in marriage, in grief, in joy, in whatever. Keep it simple. Even in ordinary things, your daily routines of shopping and so on. Deal as sparingly as possible with the things that the world thrusts on you because the world, as you see, is on its way out. See, he's giving perspective here to singles and to marrieds. He's really just giving it to everybody. Don't miss that, regardless of where you are in your, in your life. He says, I want you to live as free of complications as possible. When you're unmarried, you're free to concentrate on simply pleasing Jesus, the master. Marriage involves you in all the nuts and bolts of domestic life and in wanting to please yourself, leading to so many other demands on your attention. The time and energy that people spend on caring for and nurturing each other, the unmarried can spend in becoming whole and holy instruments of God. What he's saying is, is that you can, just, you, you can get wholeness aside from another person because you're walking with Jesus. And ultimately, the word holy there just means that you're set apart You've been set apart from over here to be set apart to the things of God. And he says, I'm just trying to be helpful and I want to make it as easy as possible for you, not make things harder. All I want is for you to be able to develop a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with a master without a lot of distractions. Uh, there's a lot of things that Paul is saying in this chapter, and I just want to uh, highlight a couple of them. The first thing is, if you're a single, and, and, and if you're married, uh, but he wants you to see your place as God sees it. Because remember, if, if, if you read through there, you'll see a number of times, he says, if you're married, stay married. And we'll talk about this when I talk about commitment, about working it out. He says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 7 there, he says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not understand commanding those periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me. Simpler life in many ways. But celibacy, singleness is not for everyone any more than marriage is. But here he says, God gives you the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. See, sometimes we forget to underscore that both of those are gifts. Singleness is a gift and marriage is a gift. But some of us, we live in this dimension of you want the gift, but you don't have it. And some of you have the gift and you don't want it. And that can be for either one, whether it's marriage or singleness. You might even have the gift for a season, but not forever. You might even be widowed or divorced and get the gift later in life. Because of something that happens through and in your marriage. I've always told Trina, I says, honey, if you ever die, I will not remarry. Not only because I... I love you, but I, I, I wouldn't want to roll the dice because I see too much carnage. I have been counseling people for almost 40 years in marriage, and I just see the carnage. I see it in the first marriage. I see it in the second marriage, and I see it in the third marriage. And I said, I just want you to know, you're it. And then she goes, well, good for you. And, uh, and uh, I go, well, okay, we'll move on from that, but... 
But, you know, Paul says, be content where you at. See, the, the, the word gift, when he says that, that singleness is a gift and celibacy is a gift and marriage is a gift, it's the word charismata in the Greek. Uh, it's the English word, we get our word charismatic from it. It's this drive, it's this passion to do something. It, it's, its root meaning comes from charis, which the, it comes in the root meaning there is grace when it talks about God's grace to us. So in, in Paul's theological framework, grace is God's empowering presence that really is deep in you. And, and it's, this, it's this charismata, it's this gift that kind of animates you inside so that you can do what you need to do outside. It's this empowering work that he has graced you with. The idea, Paul uses it throughout his writings to know that God has work in every situation that you're engaged in, involved in, that he can lead you to live out his life in and through you in his kingdom because he's empowering you with his grace. So this gift of signalness doesn't mean that you um, won't ever desire marriage because life changes. Most scholars believe that um, either Paul was a widower or maybe because when he had this change from being a rabbi and moved to being an apostle and kind of turned his back on the ways of general Judaism that maybe his wife left him and you can pick up some of that language in here when he talks about uh, a spouse leaving a believing spouse. So the gift that you get never negates the future desire, nor does it mean that it's going to be easy. It's possible that there are people in here that have been single for a, a, a number of years, and you're wondering, oh, man, I got to, you know, I, I, this is really hard. doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it's a gift that you're able to manage it. A lot of people, there's, when it talks about the charisma or the charismata of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, there are a number of gifts that God gives us that may not always be easy. Here's the bottom line that I want you, one of the things I want you to take away from today. Singleness is a good thing. Everything in our culture tells us that being in a relation with someone, someone is, that's what's going to make us happy. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever believed that? I mean, if, uh, one of the famous movies of a number of years ago, it's got a great line in it. Um, you, probably some of you will remember the movie when I say it. Oh, that just completes us. You go to school. You find a job, you buy a car, you get a puppy, you buy a house, you get married, and you go to work and do what? You live happily ever after. If that's you, congratulations. <laughs> but what if? Well, what if this isn't the way that it's always supposed to be? Uh, see, the word charisma can also be translated blessing. So when he says that, that, that this idea of singleness, it's not just a gift, but it's also a blessing. It's not a curse. It's not plan B from God's perspective because it's so easy, unknowingly, not purposefully, but for the church to make single people feel like they're on the JV team, the junior varsity. And, it, and we do it without even trying. And I'm sorry uh, to, to our singles. We have wonderful singles here if I've ever done that to you. 
because we emphasize marriage so much that you feel like you're second class or you're on the JV. When I was in high school, I was playing basketball. It was my junior year, and the coach said, here, I'm going to let you make this decision. You can either be a bench jockey on the varsity, which means you're not going to get to play a lot, or you can play a lot and be on the junior varsity and get ready for your senior year. What do you think I chose? I chose the varsity and sitting because here's what I thought. I didn't want to live with the stigma of being a junior on the JV instead of being on the big dude varsity. And that's how we sometimes make singles feel in the church. See, life doesn't start when you get married, loved ones. It really starts when you step into the larger story of your kingdom story and you begin to walk with and to follow Jesus and move into everything that he has for you. The apostle Paul says it's good for a person to not get married and it's good for a person to stay married. So he gives you these two choices, these two doors to choose from. And he says both of them are good. He's not diminishing marriage and raising up singleness, nor is he diminishing singleness and raising up marriage. He says there's this gift to both of them. Now understand, Paul's breaking new ground with this statement. See, for Jewish people, their whole focus was, was really this, to be fruitful and multiply, to follow Jehovah God's plan, be fruitful and multiply. So a good Hebrew was going to get married, and they were going to have children, and they were going to have this legacy to follow them and their seed to continue to go after them. Paul's writing here to the Greco-Roman uh, culture. Corinthian, uh, Corinth was a part of that. And if a man died in that culture without having offspring, he was seen almost like he was never alive. It's almost as if he died twice. He died in his regular death, and then he was gone, and he vanished because he didn't have anybody going after him. It really was a stigma. Because see, back then, these people, they didn't have a retirement plan. They didn't have social security checks and IRAs set up for them. Their retirement plan ultimately was their kids. So it was a real stigma. But we find people, significant people in the New Testament who were single. We've got John the Baptist, we've got Jesus, and we've got Paul, two Jew, three Jewish men who stayed single. And then Paul makes this powerful statement that singleness, singleness is a gift. You know what he's saying? If you're single here, if you're a teenager, if you're an adult that's single, live it. Use it for God's glory until that time that it might change. How do you do that? Well, you have to understand God's plan. Historians argue that the early church really was one of the first groups to see singleness as a vehicle, as a way to live without stigma. And we see it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you look at verse 26, he says, All I am saying is that when you marry... You take on additional stresses in an already stressful time, and I want to spare you if possible. So he's bringing home this idea that, listen, marriage brings a whole different set of issues to your life. I do want to point out, friends, that time is of the essence, and there is no time to waste, so don't complicate your lives unnecessarily. Paul's talking here, and he's kind of communicating uh, about two ages. Uh, as a rabbi and as a Jewish man, they understood time in really two different ways. 
The age that is, this age, and the age to come. This age is simply the present age that they were living in that was filled with all of the effects of the fall. Fall of sin, death, disease, injustice, a lack of God being engaged in it. But then they also understood from the prophets and from all the key leaders in the Old Testament that there was an age to come that they all spoke about. There was this future day that followers of God anticipated on the horizon when God, Messiah, would break and burst back into human history and he would begin to make things right. Isaiah talks about it where the lamb would sit with the lion, with the evil, with the good, and that God would begin to make this garden-esque experience again. But Jesus' death and resurrection brought this new age really to some degree, not fully, but into the present age because he was the Messiah that everybody was expected but the Jewish people didn't recognize. And he came in and he wanted to say, I want to make this right. I want to begin to see the kingdom and the age to come to be part of the age that is now. And so Jesus brought this for these people to live. And he's saying, you know, we don't live in this present age anymore. And and that present age is really this. You just settle down, get married, have a family, and enjoy life. But he says there's a tension because we're not living in the future age or the age that has come either. So there's this tension and there's the overlapping that when Jesus came, these two ages uh, of church history begin to overlap. And what Paul wants us to know, what he's saying is, which age do you really want to live for? Time is short. Do you want to just live in this present age or do you want to begin to prepare for the age to come? So what he's saying is, and he's saying this to marrieds and to singles, what do you want to give your life for? Do you want to give your life just for the here and now, or do you want to be living for the future and what God wants to do? You know what he's saying? Singleness frees you to be able to do more in this present age for the coming age. And he says, what you get to do is you have more time to be unencumbered as you face and deal with the things that God has for your life. Paul is simply articulating God's plan for all of us, whether we're single or married. It doesn't mean that he says, you know what? Just go ahead and be a lousy husband because you got to do all these kingdom things or be a poor wife because you got to do all these kingdom things. He's not disregarding that at all. But he's saying, you know what? Whether you're single or whether you're married... Time is short. Time is of the essence. And never forget that we have to live for more than simply the American dream. We have to live for more than our desires and what we want to see happen in our lives because there's something of a call of God on our life. So whatever state, whether you're single, whether you're married, God says, I still have plans and purposes for you. And if you're single, I want to give you a few things to consider. Because singleness is this gift from God whenever you have it, wherever you are in it. And he says, I want to use that to begin to, for you to begin to serve in a greater capacity. So how should you live? First of all, ask these questions. Will marriage hold you back from God's will on your life? Will God's call, will marriage hold you back from God's call on your life? I don't know if you know this, 
but relationships between men and women, husband and wife can be fairly difficult. They're not easy. Can anybody say amen, but don't do it too loud? (laughs) It's true. Marriage involves you in all the nuts and the bolts of domestic life and in wanting to please your spouse, which is a great thing, leading to so many other demands on your attention, the time and the energy that married people spend on caring for and nurturing each other. Ah, the unmarried can spend more time, their whole time, being an instrument of God. Uh, Paul is clear, singleness is good. But remember, a healthy marriage are also centered around a calling, a mission, a purpose, a job, a task. Missing, uh, marriage isn't simply about marriage. See, sometimes we begin to think that, oh, we just live for marriage. We think it's got this kind of euphoric, romantic whole idea about it. But your marriage should bring more to the table than just this romantic euphoria. It should bring some things to the kingdom table. If you're single, if you're going to get married, if you want to get married, and I believe that's a good desire. So many singles, I feel sorry for them. They feel like they can't say, yeah, I'm looking for a spouse. But that's all right. Because God's desire, if it's your desire, and he hasn't called you to be celibate or single, is to be married. There's no shame in that game. Admit it. Pray for it. Ask people to pray for you. But if you're, if you're looking to get married, here's some good questions. If you're a grandparent or a parent, you can write these down for your kids. Ask, what am I called to do for God with my life? Secondly, what's my mission in life? What do I want, where do I want to go and begin to work for God and to do things for God? And I'm not talking about standing on a stage or being part of some kind of platform thing, but with your life. What is it that you feel God wants you to to do. It's critical to answer personally before you get married so that both of you are on the same page. Uh, Trina and I got married after my freshman year of college, and at that time I'd still planned on becoming a, actually I'd asked her in February to marry me, and I had not any, I had no plan to go into ministry. So she was probably thinking, yeah, woo. And, uh, uh, and then by the, my, by the time I got to the end of my freshman year, we were going to be married in June, and I started talking, trying, you know, I'm thinking. And she goes, okay, I just love you like crazy. And then after about halfway through my sophomore year, I said, I think God's calling me to the ministry. And, and I could just kind of see her countenance. Because she didn't say this, but I know that later on, this is what she was thinking. I'm too shy. I can't play the piano. I don't like to speak in front of people. And she was probably thinking goodbye so long, you know? But here's the deal. Because of our commitment to Jesus Christ, she was able to make the changes to be able to go the direction that God was calling us because of her commitment to Jesus. I have a friend who's a missionary right now. And we talk at least once, sometimes twice a month where uh, he just calls me and it's kind of accountability and it's sharing. And he's on the verge now. He is getting ready probably to ask his girlfriend to marry him. So we're talking about what kinds of things. Well, listen, friend, here's the things you got to find out. You're both in missions work right now, but he kind of wants to go to these really downtrodden third world countries. 
He wants to go to some really dangerous places in the Middle East. And I go, is she ready for that? Is she willing to do that? I mean, just because she's a missionary, maybe she wants to be a missionary, you know, like in, the, in, in Chinatown of San Francisco or something, you know? You better make sure you're clear on that. Because when you come to this place of getting married, you want to make sure you're on the same page. And that God is going before both of you together. Key is to become what can I do to, to follow God's plans? Because if you want to marry and do something totally different than the person you're looking to marry, you better have that on the page. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. Because if marriage pulls you, if you feel God's calling you to do something, students, young people, singles, if you feel like God's calling you to do something and you begin to move in toward marriage to somebody who says, I want no part of that, I would say slow down because probably the trajectory of your relationship is not part of your future path. Now here's one that Paul talks about in this passage. Be real about your sexuality. Uh, be real about your sexuality. Uh, Paul's writing this to the first century Corinthians. Uh, they're different from our world today in some ways. In some ways, because marriage back then was more uh, just kind of as a function. They had a group of philosophers called the Stoics, and they basically said that marriage is very functional. It's for children, it's for business, and it's for family, but not necessarily based or for love. But Paul says, if you are filled with desire, if you have this strong sexual desire and passion and drive, and some of your translations say you burn, you probably don't have the gift of singleness and celibacy, so prepare and get ready to marry. Because see, there's a lot of huge issues today because there's so much sexual immorality. And Paul says marriage is a choice, and if that's you, pursue it, and go after it. Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, go ahead, stay single, or sleep around, or move in with somebody and have sex just so you can avoid marriage. His concern, loved ones, for every one of us in this room is for our personal purity before God. See, Paul's writing to a people that were totally immersed in a sensual and sexual culture. It, it, I don't think it was, I don't think ours is any worse than theirs. You know what the difference is? Is technology. You can drive down, this isn't technology, but you can drive down the street and go hubba, hubba, hubba. Look at that seductive babe. You can go on your computer and you can click a mouse and probably find out anything you want on that. You can go on to the tube, on the TV, and you can find whatever you want on there. See, Corinth was like that, but it didn't have all the technology and all of the TV and all of those things. But it was a hot spot. It was the original Vegas. It was the place where whatever happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. But there's a couple of differences between Paul's time and our time. First of all, they didn't have all the technology and the pornography and the issues that were always tantalized at our fingertips or just as our eyesight as we went through life. And secondly, they would get married between 14 and 16. Many of them would get married between 14 and 16 years old. So they didn't have this 10-year gap 
that we oftentimes face today. Now, am I saying get married at 14 and 16? Heavens, no. But if you're going to live single, God says, I want you to be real about your sexuality. I want you to take care of yourself. Hebrews 13 says this. The marriage bed is honorable. Keep it undefiled. Why, why is that? Well, because Satan wants to distort it. He wants to make it dirty, and he ultimately wants to destroy it. And hear this. Some of us really don't believe this, or we don't know it. God says, I want it to be pure, and I want it to be fun, fun, fun. But so often, soil comes into the marriage. But God says, I want that soil. I want it to be satisfying. I want it to grow, and I want it to nurture the relationship. Sometimes we forget that women will give sex to get love while men will give love to get sex. And, and hear me, singles. Don't fall into that trap. Choose God's way. Do it God's way. Again, I've worked with singles, marrieds, teenagers, almost 40 years. Here's what I know. I have never yet had someone come to me and go, you know, P.T., I just wish I would have slept around more. <laughs> you know, I just wish I would have kind of turned it loose with a lot more people a lot more times. I've never heard anybody say to me, you know, regret going into a marriage as a virgin. But I've had a lot of people, and I've done a lot of talks on this in the past, but I've had a lot of people regret and say that there are things that they've taken into their marriage that they wish they didn't have to. Hear me, loved ones. Pastor Paul says it. P.T. says it. Love yourself. Love God. Love people around you. Protect yourself. Be real about your sexuality. Ask yourself this. Is this relationship that I'm moving toward in marriage, is it short term or is it a lifetime? Is it for a time or is it for a lifetime? Uh, Paul said it this way in verse 39. He says, a woman is bound to her husband. Or we could say a husband is bound to a woman as long as they live. I remember in our wedding rehearsal, Trina and I, and the night before, and a lot of times the pastor, he walks through your vows. And I'm standing there with Trina. I mean, I don't know nothing about life, hardly. And she knows less than I do. And all of a sudden, this pastor goes, we're young. And this pastor goes, and so would you repeat after me, as long as we both shall live. I look at him, as long as they both shall live. And I look at her, and I'm thinking, that's a long time. <laughs> and I said, sure, why not? <laughs> no, I didn't say why not. I said, absolutely. But I had to stop for just a moment to go, that is a long time. That's probably, let me see, I was 20. That's got to be 60 to 80 years. That's a long time. 
See, when all the excitement and the fun wears thin, are you committed to make it work? And are you willing to work at making it work? That's a question you've got to ask yourself. Then the last one is, are you committed to Christ? Are they committed to Christ? Are you committed to Christ? Paul goes on to say in the same verse, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he or she must belong to the Lord. Ugh. This one is not hard to understand, but it is so difficult to swallow for so many people, especially when they're young. And even when they get older, I'm a pastor. I love people. I mean, I really do. The reason I did this, when I, when I got into this initially, I just love people. I wanted to help them. And so I remember early on here, uh, in my first year, this gal, beautiful, just wonderful gal, and just a great part of the 25, 30 people we had here. And she comes to me, she was getting involved, and she says, I, I want you to meet my fiance. I go, okay, well, I've never met him, I've never seen him. And now they're already engaged. And she goes, would you meet him? Because I want you to be a part of marrying us. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to meet him. What? I go, well, here's the deal. He's not a Christian. No, he's not a Christian. And I said, if I meet him, I'm going to like him. And then if I like him, it's going to be a lot harder for me to look at both of you together and say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to marry you because he doesn't know Jesus and you do. She started crying, and she ended up leaving, and I never saw her again. That's why it's so important. Now, hear me. I'm going to be really honest. I've seen marriages like that work. There's a couple of them in this room. But here's the deal. I've also seen ones that don't work. And I get to deal with a lot of the carnage. And that's no big deal as much as the people have to deal with that. If you're single here, loved ones, don't cut the corner on this one. Paul says they must belong to the Lord. I want to challenge you. This is God's word. Don't cut the corner. I remember thinking after Trina and I got married, everything's going to be different. Oh, everything's going to be so easy. We get to sleep together. We get to love together. We get to do everything together. It's going to be so much easier, so much better when we're finally married. And then when we got married, it was a few months in. And one day I was thinking to myself, not out loud, of course, man, I thought this was supposed to be easier. But you know what marriage does? It simply brings another person's troubles and issues that collide with your own. One of the greatest struggles for singles is God's guidelines for your life. Students, you're thinking, well, I'm not getting married, but you're, every date that you take from here on out, once you're 18 and above or whatever, maybe even 16, because I've seen, you know, Trina and I started dating in high school, could be the next step to marriage. Don't get involved in someone that won't allow you to become everything you can in Christ. You go, well, man, God, he's just kind of a prude. He doesn't know. Yeah, he does. 
And his, his guidelines, his guardrail for your life are never meant to be prohibitive or punitive, but always protective. Why? Because he loves you. And he loves me. And he loves you. Here's the question. If you can trust him with your eternity to get you from here to heaven, here's the bigger question. Can you trust him with your life, your sexuality, and your mate here and now? Because if you can trust it to get you to heaven, you can trust him to get you your mate and with your sexuality. Why do I say that? Well, stand and I'll tell you, please. The chapter preceding this, Paul says to the church, he goes, you know what? You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. Do you know that? You're not your own. You belong to the creator who created you. You know, he paid a great price for you. Oh, he didn't shell out a hundred bucks or a million, whatever you think you're worth. Here's what he did. He said, I love you so much. You're so valuable to me. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to die for your life. I'm going to die for your sexuality. I'm going to die for your mate, your spouse. When Trina and I adopted our two sons, we adopted them about, uh, I think it was 14 months apart. And they were young, they were babies. You know what, we paid a lot, a lot of money for them. Because you know, insurance doesn't cover adoption. We just, we just I mean, we, we, we had to shell out a lot of money. I mean, we didn't have it, we just borrowed and stole some. and. Uh, did I mean anything we could do to, to get it because we wanted these boys and then we had them so close together I've never said this to my boys do you know how much we paid for you <laughs> I've thought about it <laughs> but I never have you know why because I love them and I've never even one time thought I sure wish they'd start paying me back. And you know, God doesn't do that to you either, do you? Yeah, you hear me, and he doesn't hold us hostage by saying, oh, I paid such a great price for you. But he never wants you to forget it. Here's how my boys pay me back. They begin to make right decisions and do the right things and the things that I've taught them to do for their benefit. And I think that's why Paul says in a few different places in the New Testament, he says, everything I want to do, I want to please Jesus. And here's the deal. The reason I I speak to singles to you today, I want want you to say, if you set your life to do that, I guarantee you, your life won't be be perfect, but it'll be good. And Jesus will bring his life to it and infuse it. And when you're going through the hard times, you come out on the other side, you go, man, that was worth it. And you won't take regrets in to your marriage. 
And singles, the same, excuse me, married people, the same thing. If you will do marriage the way Jesus is, the way Paul writes about here, if you see your sexuality as a way to express your love, and that it's a gift that God gives you to share for just you too, and not all the other stuff that the world wants to bring into it. And if you'll stay committed and say, I'm here, I'm not going. Paul says to stay, God says to stay, I'm gonna stay. And you, and you don't just stay to stay, but you stay to make it good and better every day in every way. I guarantee you, God bless you.